Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show, a podcast designed to help you gain clarity, lead effectively, and drive results for yourself, your team, and your organization. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Miller. Today on the Strata Leadership Show, we have someone that I uh, really admire, someone who is great at their craft and someone that has been an incredible help to me. As a matter of fact, Dr. Aaron Greilich, who you're about to meet, is uh, my executive coach, someone that I uh, really have a lot of trust in and, and just think the, the world of because of her genuine concern for other people and trying to help them have better lives. So, uh, Dr. Greilich, welcome to the Strata Leadership Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. So, I had the chance to meet you when you were living in Oklahoma uh, for a few years, and now you're living uh, in Colorado. But your story is an interesting story because you've seen so many places because of where you grew up and and how you grew up. And I'm sure you get tired of answering uh, all the questions about um, your, your life growing up in your home state. But can you tell the listeners where you grew up and, and what it was like to grow up um, in your hometown? So my hometown is a small town called Aiea in Hawaii on the island of Oahu. And it was an absolutely amazing uh, childhood that I had. And I can honestly tell you, I did not appreciate what, um, how lucky I was until further on in life. Um, I have a brother. And so we had a small kind of nuclear family. uh, But my mom came from a family of five siblings. She's one of five. So I had cousins and we had family parties because my grandfather kept our family together in that way. And so I felt like I had the best of both worlds. I had a, a small unit where I got everything that I could ever uh, ever want and need. And I also had an extended family that made me feel like I was really a part of something bigger. From my perspective, and I know I'm biased, but from my perspective, you are one of the, the best executive coaches that I've ever known. Looking back Thank at you. your, I appreciate you very much. Looking back at your growing up years, whether it was in elementary school, high school, whenever, at what point did you realize that you could make a difference in other people's lives and, and thought maybe that path could be one that would be a good fit for you? Well, um, I don't remember a whole lot of specific moments in my life. I wish I did. My, um, my son, Jake, has a memory like elephant, and I would love to have that too. Um, but I do remember this moment in eighth grade in the middle of a conversation that I was having uh, during recess with a friend. And the friend was going through something that uh, she was struggling with. And I remember a moment of clarity that I was having a conversation with her that not very many people have with other individuals. And that wasn't the first time that it had happened. And it felt like such a privilege uh, to be trusted by her and to be trusted by other people to share more than they would with other people. And that for me was the moment of feeling like I had 
a really good sense of where I wanted to go, which was to be able to support people through times of challenge and to also challenge them uh, so that they could reach further than they would if they weren't being pushed. You chose a path because there are a lot of different paths to uh, being a leader and, and helping uh, leaders succeed and thrive, but you chose a path that uh, was really grounded in many ways in an academic setting. And so uh, there uh, in Hawaii, beginning your academic uh, career after high school and then moving on, would you tell us a little bit about uh, your academic journey and then give some insight into why you felt that was important. I was having a great conversation yesterday with a friend of mine who was really questioning the idea of, um, should you go to college? Should you go for the grad school stuff? Does that, does that really matter or not? And I thought it was an interesting discussion, but you look at your path and that was something that meant a lot to you. Can you tell us some more about that? Absolutely. Um, I come from a family who has really, really pushed uh, and prioritized education. So um, my mom has a doctorate in education. My dad has a doctorate in clinical psychology. And so as the older kid uh, in the family, I thought, well, clearly I have to be more successful than my parents. So part of what the expectation would be is for me to also get my doctoral degree. So it was never a question in my mind that I was going to go to college and then I was going to continue on to graduate school. Um, and that was, it was an easy path. Um, my brother didn't have a, an easy path that way. And he's still been able to find where he is doing wonderfully in life for himself. Uh, so it's never been my belief that that's the only way to find where it is that you want to land. I think there are a million ways that um, you can do organizational development, organizational effectiveness, and not have a degree. Um, but for me, it was um, gosh, it was just it was really because I felt like you know my parents had provided me so much that that was one way that I could definitely pay them back was with my um, kind of focus on getting myself through my learning and then being able to start. And uh, I knew that they, they value that too. So that was another incentive. Um, I've felt like high school was actually the harder, the harder thing than, um, than most of my college until I got into some of the sciences and then that really stumbled me like organic chemistry and the graduate school courses that I had were just a ton of fun. Uh, by the time I was really focusing in on things that I, I would love for the rest of my career. And yeah, I've, I have valued the critical thinking that my education has provided me. And I feel like it's, so much of a muscle memory that it's what I default to. And I think especially now with all of the, um, all of the different ways that you can get information that we can really, really easily be, be taken down paths that we don't intend to. Um, so I'm thankful that I had the time to build that uh, capability to be really um, understanding of what good research is, 
and, and those types of things so that I can better navigate this really complicated world. So if you were sitting down with someone who wanted to be in, in the field that you're in, in, I would say that your primary focus areas are organizational development and, and then executive de- development, specifically through executive coaching. And you may say, you know, I kind of, but maybe I need to expand that. And I would love to hear that. But if you were talking to somebody who really wanted to dedicate themselves to that world, uh, what would you say to them about that? If Let's say they finished their bachelor's degree and maybe they're thinking about a master's or maybe they have a master's and they're thinking about a doctorate. Would you encourage that? So over the course of my life, I've come to truly believe in the statement that the only reason why you would go for your doctorate is because it's required in order to do the work that you want to do or because you purely have a love of learning and that in and of itself is a motivation enough for you. Because to get through a dissertation is a pain and there's no shortcuts around it. And so that's my true belief. Even though I've I've gone that path, um, it was something that I felt like I I have a love of learning. Um, So that, that was okay for me. And I didn't know if I needed a a degree or not to do what I do. But I will tell you now, I definitely do not need this degree. There are so many organizations that you can join either as an intern or a lower level. And if you join a great one, you can have exposure to everything under the sun related to OD or orgasmicness. And that for me was the best way to learn. I, I learned theory. Um, and some kind of basic principles when I was in school, but really the the vast majority of what I know today, I learned because I was in a job that did all of those things and had mentors and people who were helping me to you know accelerate my understanding of the business and how systems are talking to each other, uh, how things are kind of ideally set up because if you come from a background of really valuing the strategic side of HR, then organizations look much different. So I I would say if you love education, go for it. If you don't, then find a great starting position within a great organization that you know does great OD stuff and go for it. You know, the, the world of OD is gaining momentum. But even when you say um, OD, people may not know that this is about organizational development or something along those lines. But if I'm talking to a company, and I think this is an important question, if I'm talking to a company and they are looking at um, how how to move forward, and somebody says, maybe we should get somebody who has a background in OD, Help me understand when a company benefits from someone who does what you do. Help me understand why a company would hire you. In the most basic of challenges, I think that a company could benefit from hiring a consultant who does organizational development or effectiveness is that moment where you feel like you have tried every option that you know available to you and there still is no real resolution to the challenges that you're finding 
or that you're feeling like, man, I don't even know where to start at this point because there are so many things that are not going the way that I need them to go. So the organizational development or effectiveness perspective is really looking at the entire system of an organization and figuring out, okay, how can we make it all work together better? And there are components like people, which is a huge component, of course, and all the roles that they play, but there's also core processes. There's the culture of an organization. There are structural problems that can really lead to confusion and frustration. So bringing in a consultant allows it with this background, allows you to really look at the total organism and identify those pieces that are just kind of rubbing up against each other and how to get those to work more smoothly together. You know, a few years ago, the, 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 you and I had the chance to work together on a, a project that I really enjoyed. And the way it was described to me, because you were helping me understand some of this, you said something to me that was a great image in my mind. You, you, you said, imagine that you're standing in a cornfield and that the uh, corn is above your head. And then you said, and now imagine that someone has lifted you up where you can uh, be above the, the corn and see uh, farther into the field uh, for a moment. And they drop you back down so that you can make your way to where you wanted to go. And I thought that was a really interesting way to, to say it. And I don't know if that's what everybody has experienced, but I will say it has been my experience working with you that you have allowed me for a moment to stop, get out of that, uh, the weeds, so to speak, get out of that um, field to see where I really wanted to go. And I think it's an incredible thing to watch somebody do this. But when we were working on that uh, project together, this was a family-owned company that had been around a long time. It was a large company, um, a few hundred million, I say a large company, a few hundred million in sales uh, at the time. But they had not created an organizational structure that matched with what they were trying to accomplish as an organization. And I watched you go into that situation and you began interviewing each executive and what you were giving that executive team really was time because they, they didn't have the time to do that uh, at that level. But you were also giving them a safe place to talk about what they really wanted to accomplish. Now, how is it that you are able to, to allow people to, to say those things to you? What is it that, that you bring to the table that lets people feel comfortable telling you very complex things in a very complex system so that you can help them have a better outcome. Do you have any thoughts on that? I would, I would say the one thing that I do notice in people who I also consider to be great listeners is that there is such a continual focus on the individual and it doesn't, the spotlight doesn't switch back and forth. So when I'm listening and when I find other people who are terrific listeners, the spotlight that I see is only on the individual who needs the support. And so the questions that are asked are very much bringing that conversation deeper so that the individual can better analyze and to take apart uh, and look at the pieces in kind of totality in front of them. Whereas if you didn't have that person who was a good listener, 
you wouldn't have been able to excavate all of that. And so for, for me, I think the thing that I rely on most is focusing that spotlight on the individual and trying my very best to ask questions that help them to pull apart more things um, for their examination. Now, for a lot of people who are in leadership, they have been rewarded for most of their lives for having something to say. And so when you find yourself in that spot where you're not necessarily actively contributing at the level that you could, that requires some restraint and focus. How, how have you developed that? I don't know if I intentionally developed that, to tell you the truth. I think that there's a comfort that I have in the background. And that's always been a, a place that I've enjoyed being and not feeling in any way that um, I know that I was missing out. I, I enjoyed being the support behind. Um, and so I, I wish I could tell you what specifically I might have chosen to do. I think that fundamentally, I find a great deal of pride. And maybe this is kind of along that line of an educator too, where my greatest pride comes from seeing other people succeed because I was able to, in some way, provide them something that they needed at the time they needed it. You know, to me, what you just described was the heart of a leader. And I think the heart of a leader and the heart of an educator are often very similar. And I love what you just said of finding that joy in helping other people succeed. And I, I do believe that that's the heart of leadership. And I highlight that for just a moment because some people listening might think that the only style of leadership that really is effective is that charismatic leader, maybe that loud leader, the, the one that's trying to be impressive. And I say that because to me, the quiet leader is so consistently underestimated and so consistently outperforms. And I appreciate your perspective on that and, and where you're coming from on that. Transitioning a little bit, you mentioned a moment ago about the value of people and then the structures and, and all, all the different pieces of culture that are part of that. Uh, you've worked with a lot of people from a lot of different perspectives. But one of the things that I'm trying to understand and help people understand is the idea of the emerging leader. And the emerging leader is not based upon the age that someone might have, although it's often earlier in their career. But the emerging leader, as I'm defining it, is the person that is recognizing that they are having an identity shift, that they are moving from being rewarded for being the doer to being the orchestrator of the doing. And that is a significant shift in how they view the world. What do you think is the greatest challenge facing emerging leaders today? So at this moment in time, I think the same challenge that I see facing emerging leaders is also facing all leaders and honestly, all, all beings, uh, all human beings right now. And that would be the power of the technology that we have available to us and what it can allow us to do, which is just mind-blowing where, where we can go with it. And I also think that it is working really, really hard against some of the basic ways in which our brain functions and so can really compromise our performance 
because of that. So one of the things that I think is happening because we are under, some of us are still under um, stay-at-home orders, but all of us experience that for at least a matter of six to eight weeks, is that you can find a lot of productivity when you are not constantly interrupted. And so I recently um, worked with a, a colleague of mine to gather some data about how the working from home was going for people. And one of the things that they said was, man, I can get so much done as long as I am not interrupted by all of the kind of noise and chaos that I know I had in the workplace. But I also know that I can find um, spaces in my day, even with my family there, um, to, to get work done. So it's that confidence and kind of knowing, wow, okay, that productivity piece I don't have to worry about because, in fact, when I am at work, I have a lot more distractions than I was realizing. Um, and I can feel a little bit more control over them when I'm in a space that has fewer individuals in it. Hmm. You've helped me in a great deal in this, and you were talking about this concept of um, being at that peak performance long before a lot of the books that came out that have been so helpful came along. And you were one among the first people that I really um, had a chance to talk to deeply about how to have uh, a life where you were being the most effective uh, possible. And one of the things you you were trying to uh, say to me and others was that uh, the distractions that we think are helping us be more effective are actually keeping us from from being effective. Can, can you speak to that? What are what are some of your observations about um, dealing with distractions as a leader? Well, I think I think one of the things that has been such a misleading um, myth that we've been talking about for the last well, ten years or so is this idea of multitasking. And that is proven uh, to be a false thing that uh, that actually we can't do as human beings because of the way that that our brain works. Our brain is a spotlight, a single spotlight, and it has a certain amount of kind of size to encompass you know things within that spotlight viewpoint. And by you switching back and forth with tasks, you can feel like you're being more productive because of the busyness that's brought along uh, by doing a lot of things simultaneously. But what researchers are finding in the area of neuroscience is really that you are less productive in each one of those tasks because each time you put one task down and pick something up, you have to reorient yourself to that particular task. So what one thing leaders are doing is really getting confused between busyness versus productivity. And that busyness has to do with all of the activity that we have in our day around email, around drop-ins, around notifications that come up through our phones, where we're really finding our best performance happening is when we have blocks of time for us to be completely absorbed into whatever that cognitively demanding task might be. So you can imagine anything in the area of writing something from scratch, um, uh, composing a report, or if you are needing to work through how your business is going to reopen um, once life after the pandemic has you know, settled down is going to look like. Those are very, very complex tasks 
that are not going to be done well if you are trying to, you know, shoehorn them in between, you know, other busy things that are going on during a day. Some of the reports that I'm seeing, and maybe you're seeing them too, uh, during this pandemic, when so many people have been working from home or working remotely, uh, would suggest that people are working longer hours. Some are saying two hours more per day. I've seen all the way up to four. When you think about the, the number of hours people work and their effectiveness, there's a, a, a lot of people would take great pride in the fact that they work 10 or 12 or 14 hour days. If you're looking at their effectiveness, however, what would you say to someone who is holding on to that belief that, that the longer number of hours means that they are being more productive? I would say that I understand why they feel that way and that I commend them for uh, doing what their organization is needing. And I would also say it's not sustainable. And the reality of it is the longer that it goes on, the less you are actually performing at your best. Uh, One of the things that are compromised at that moment is just the wear on your brain because of the amount that you're pushing it. It's almost as if you are trying to run a marathon straight through without taking any time for consuming water or some kind of replenishment of uh, energy and nutrients. So really what we are finding is that um, hopefully most organizations have gotten through that really crazy demand of 10 to 14 hour days. But even if an organization feels like they still have to go through that, they really need to take a step back and uh, figure out whether or not they are burning their people out because the recovery from that is going to take longer than if you just figured a way to pace and sequence projects. And I think that's another thing that's really um, kind of the tail wagging the dog. Because we have so many opportunities available to us that we never had access to before, thanks to technology, we feel a need to say yes to way more things. And what we end up doing is doing none of them well. So having the discipline and the courage to pick out what you are going to define yourself on Uh, and going after that, uh, and not trying to be everything to everyone. When you're talking to leaders and they they come to that conclusion that something needs to change, and they're wanting to have better brain health, they're wanting to be able to to focus more effectively, what are some uh, things that you would suggest that would allow people to to have that sense of replenishment, that they would be able to uh, go farther because they had been able to rest along the way? What are some things you would just provide practically that people can do to be in a better place? Absolutely. So the first thing that I would ask any executive is, what does your sleep look like? Because with that um, comes a lot of positives for your brain's function because of all the important cleaning that's done uh, during sleep. So if you are not feeling rested, and the, the litmus test that I have for that is if you are falling asleep within five minutes of your head hitting the pillow at night, you are most likely not getting enough sleep for your body. And the reason for that is because the brain actually takes 10 to 20 minutes to shut itself down. It's imagining that you have a huge power plant that you need to close out for the day. And there's no way that there's one switch that shuts everything down. It needs to be done in stages. Well, your brain is no different from that. 
So it needs 10 to 20 minutes in order to power everything down and get into a sleep cycle. Uh, the next thing I would say is, let's say that you, you've gotten control uh, of your sleep cycle, and that's doing pretty well. Throughout the day, making sure that you are taking breaks, either scheduled or unscheduled, your brain can oftentimes tell you when it is that it needs uh, a rest from a task. And that's when you start feeling like you're pulling out from that really uh, invested space where you were effortlessly working. And when your brain falls out of that, that's a great time to take a step away. Uh, it also allows your brain to take a breather so that it's not being pushed to go in a linear path, but has an opportunity to kind of relax and to find other connections with time. That's the way in which our brain works because it's structured like a web and not like an outline. Um, a lot of people try to force their brains to think like an outline, and that's the reason why we can start to lose some of that innovation. Uh, and then another thing is to try your best to practice some kind of mindfulness uh, throughout the day. And it can be as easy as taking a single deep breath that you kind of count as you inhale and count as you exhale, just to bring you back to the present. Because a lot of what we can do is either rehash the past or rehearse the future. And when we are in either of those spaces, that's when we cannot take the action that we want to. I really appreciate that practical uh, advice there. I've seen uh, more recently a discussion that is trying to focus on um, what happens when you go through trauma. And so you have some people who they go through trauma and they have this stress disorder that emerges from that. And that's an area that you've focused on in the past and in some of your research. And then there is a, another concept that has emerged more recently about post-traumatic growth in that some people, matter of fact, it could be argued the majority of people who go through a time that is a, a time of trauma will look at that as a time in which they grew the most, that because of their openness, because of their agreeableness, because of their resilience, they look back on that and say, it made me appreciate life more deeply, et cetera, et cetera. When you look at your own life, what have been some things that, that have uh, prompted growth for you? What are some of the hurdles or, or challenges that you uh, sticking with it, you um, being willing to, to do the, the challenging thing has helped uh, you grow uh, as, as a leader and as a person? That is a, that's a hard question. I have to say that I feel like my life has been pretty smooth in its unfolding. The, the points of challenge in my life that really stand out in my own mind and partly because of just some character qualities of mine, like um, a lack of patience and um, a perfectionistic tendency has caused me challenges. Um, the first was trying to get out of my high school as quickly as possible because uh, in my 18-year-old mind, I had so outgrown this small little you know, community uh, and outgrew Hawaii and I just needed to be far, far away. Um, so that was, that was one time in my life where I was not making it easy on myself. Uh, second time in my life was, and it's funny because none of them were, well, one of them was professional. So the one time that I had a struggle on the professional, no, twice. 
on the professional side was uh, when I kind of got to a point, I worked for Taco Bell for about six years. And I really felt like I had become familiar with the system and I knew the people overall. I, of course, I didn't know everybody, but I had done uh, so many different things and I was so thankful for having done all those. But I looked around and thought, well, what in the world am I going to do next that's going to be really exciting and really challenging? And so what I ended up doing is getting out of Taco Bell completely and trying to see whether I could blend this clinical psychology background that I have with uh, organizational behavior. And that's the route I took. And I think the best part of that route was, one, I had a deeper appreciation for the corporations that I was a part of and able to help uh, versus trying to find this uh, unicorn that I was attempting to do. Uh, and the second thing is I, I met my husband. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have crossed paths with him unless I had taken that very kind of 180 degree turn from where I was. And then the second was uh, probably trying to get back into um, organizational development after being out of it for a little while. And so that was in Oklahoma, and for which I am so thankful that Strata Leadership was based there because that gave me an incredible outlet to reconnect and to start my journey again. And so four years later, here I am, I'm still able to do external consulting and extremely thankful for it. So if somebody wanted to connect with you and they're looking for an executive coach or, or they're needing some guidance or, or help with uh, OD work, uh, how, how can they connect with you? So I am pretty active on LinkedIn at this point and Strata Leadership still actually has me on the website too. So those are both two easy ways to get in touch with me. Um, right now, I'm trying to use LinkedIn as my favorite platform to put out content. So I'm especially during this time of the uh, of COVID, I am doing my my best to think about ways in which I can offer some type of support for people who are facing challenges as they're navigating through the pandemic. So that would probably be anybody to reach me. And so um, she's someone that you want to connect with. I know for me, she has been of great help as a coach and just someone who I really believe has such a great passion and understanding of systems that she's the kind of person who can just help you save so much time and effort. And I say that as a friend and as a colleague, not someone who is trying to drum up business. I just think she's a very unique leader. So the last question I have for you, and I do appreciate your time. I know that you have a lot going on right now. Uh, last question is, is one that I know you're going to be uncomfortable with, but it, it, I'm just interested in this. I like to ask everybody the question. What is the best compliment you've ever received? You are correct. This is probably one of the most difficult questions for people to ask me. Um, I have to say compliments don't stick very well um, in my head. But if I had to, if I had to say something that I really value when people do share the feedback with me is that I am still a good listener and <laughs> I'm still making people feel as important as I believe them to be. 
um, that that would probably be the biggest compliment. Well, I uh, do appreciate you and your commitment. And for those who'd like to connect with Dr. Greilich, uh, one more time, go on LinkedIn. And her name is Erin, E-R-I-N. And the last name is G-R-E-I-L-I-C-K, Dr. Erin Greilich. And I know that you'll find her the resources that she provides uh, to be a, a blessing to you and, and to help you uh, lead more effectively. Dr. Greilich, thank you for being a part of the show today. And for those who are listening in, I hope you know that this show is dedicated truly to you. It's tough being a leader. There are no easy ways to, to lead because you're going off in places where people had not been before. And so thank you for being a leader. Thank you for making a difference. And so the Strata Leadership Show, we're trying to bring leaders together to talk about things that matter, that impact people's lives. But we really want people to make the decision to lead effectively and set the pace. Have a great day. What you do matters. Thank you.